So welcome back to our Open Source Startup Podcast. This is Tim from Essence VC and our lovely partner at Cowboy Ventures, Robbie. We're super excited to have Sam Lambert from Planescale. This is the database platform for developers. So welcome, Sam. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Awesome. Well, we're really excited to have you on. And you also have a very unique story on how you first came across PlanetScale and your role with the company and how it's evolved to you now being CEO. So why don't we start there with your specific role and how you got introduced to the company? So I'm the CEO of PlanetScale, but I didn't start there. My journey with the company started way, 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 way earlier than that. So I was at GitHub and we were scaling. GitHub at one point was... 42nd most visited website on the internet. So that's pretty, you know, that's significant scale, significant traffic. And like everybody, like everybody, we had database problems. We were running on MySQL, which was great. And MySQL took us really far. Like we were running on one MySQL master, three or four replicas at like 15 million users. So it took us really, really far. But then we ended up at 70 million users and the users were developers. Our API sees, saw a massive amount of traffic. From people script actually it's really interesting uh, so i'm digressing already but at github you could see the cron ticks of the entire world in our load graph so on the hour you would get the biggest spike and then half an hour and then 15 minutes so we'd have like people building ma massive infrastructure off of um github like pulling the code automating all sorts of things with the api so we got, we got a lot of traffic and it was all you know a lot of it was database traffic as well as git traffic so we were having to scale things and this really great team came out of youtube with Vitesse, right? So they built Vitesse at YouTube with the same goal of scaling YouTube, right? And so YouTube was at a much bigger scale and it was at two and a half billion active users, which is obviously colossal. And they had the same problems, database problems. And this is a very common problem everyone runs into. And, and they left YouTube with Vitesse. It became part of the CNCF. And then more and more companies were adopting it. Square, Roblox, Slack specifically, every Slack message in the world is stored in Vitesse. It's the main backbone for their product. And we looked at it at GitHub and it, you know, it was awesome. Sam Kotler, who's our head of infrastructure engineering here at PlanetScale and was a Git, was a, he was at GitHub as well. You know, he, he said, it's, you can sum Vitesse up with this rareness of it just does what it says it's going to do. It's very rare that products, especially in the database space can do that. And so immediately saw the impact all of these amazing database engineers we had were extremely excited. So I reached out to the founders and said, you know, I'd love to invest in, in PlanetScale. And I do a bit of seed investing and you guys have a great vision for what you want to do and great product and good database tech is rare to find. So, you know, I invested and then I started to advise the company and get to know the company. And I saw that they had this incredible technology and it wasn't quite in the hands of enough users yet, right? The product was doing really well with hyperscale internet companies that needed support for their Vitesse. But we knew we could bring this under this incredible engine, like this just game-changing engine had landed in our laps. And we thought that this could be the, the right engine to power a database platform. So I was looking to do something next. I love building products, especially products for developers. And I thought I'd love to be at PlanScale and to kind of take what we did at GitHub, that developer experience, that understanding of developers, and be the last mile for Vitesse and bring Vitesse into many, many people's hands. So I joined as chief product officer. We relaunched the product. We started again. A bunch of folks came from GitHub. I think we've got about maybe nearly 30 people probably that came in from GitHub. But we have folks from loads of other companies. And, and the way I would sum everyone up at this company is that we're kind of scratching this itch or paying back this debt that we all incurred by scaling large companies. We have here for people from Google, Facebook, Instagram, Sentry, like every major tech company you can imagine, Amazon have worked work at PlanetScale and we're all on this same mission of building 
the database we wish we had had when we were scaling those companies. Like, you know, as investors, you see companies like they rocket ship at the beginning. It's just innovation, no scale challenges. It's pushing code, it's building. They ignite a bottom, bottoms up audience who just love the feeling of iteration and speed. And then we all find, then we all find these products like slow down. We're just like, ah, uh, I mean, nothing new is coming out. Things are getting stale. Things are getting slow. And the innovation at the company plateaus while well, you deal with like all of these horrible scale problems. And we've all been through this and it kind of ultimately caps the value of your company, right? Like the more time you spend not innovating, like your users don't care. Like you're not going to send a feature email that says we have a new database backend. I mean, like for the note taking app that you use, they don't care. No one cares. You're just shipping again. And so it's our vision at Planet Scale that you pick Planet Scale, you never go through those scaling pains. You just keep delivering for your users and you just rocket ship in growth. And so we're here to do that. And that's, you know, that's why I'm here at Planet Scale. Awesome. That, that's a very uh, unique sort of story. I think we heard from most of the founders or CEOs of database open source companies. I want to talk about probably one of the most important questions, which is Vitesse into Planet Scale. Mm-hmm. Vitesse itself uh, is MySQL sharding duplication. I would consider performance optimization and, and scaling platform. We just want to generalize it really quickly, but it's it works on top of your existing MySQL database. And that's why a lot of large companies, like GitHub, already using MySQL or, or yep. related, can scale faster, right? But when it comes to planet scale, the, the company, right, it seems like it's, it's, it changes from, oh, take your existing database and make it more, more scalable. Now it's this default starting place for you to get you from initial point to scaling. Maybe talk about that journey, right? Like when you take the tests, you're no longer taking existing databases and making it much more faster and better. Now we have to change the strategy now. A lot of companies, they tend to just rebuild a new one or, or think of some new rebuild databases from scratch or, or various ways we can do this. What is that journey like from the test into planet scale? Like what was the first thought process when they start the company? And you better talk about a relaunch, right? What, what did you learn from that process that made you to the first relaunch that, okay, we need to actually do something different? Yeah, so the test is very complicated. It's very valuable in the sense of what it does for you, right? It's like Kubernetes. It's not like no one's going to pretend it's easy to set up, but I mean, once you get there, you can gain great value. And the test is the same thing. So it was very much kind of pegged to big companies that need it. They're going to hire up. They're going to get people like you. You, you won't, don't just choose it when you're a mid-sized company or you're just getting going. It was primarily for folks that that complexity, that trade-off is still very, very worthwhile to be able to scale their databases, right? When you're at like mega scale, everything, literally everything is breaks and is a problem and needs, you know, people's eyes and attention on it. And so we were there. And that, that was unfortunate because one, there isn't a massive amount of those types of companies and you mainly would be selling them support and support, you know, is not really, support's a consultancy type business. It's not really a high growth SaaS business that venture capitalist wants to invest in. It's just support, right? And you can do that with a few people and kind of make it niche. And Vitesse is incredibly powerful in other ways. Like the way it achieves what it achieves in terms of sharding and various pieces that are part of the stack involve incredible streaming technologies and incredible robustness and general kind of orchestration of a database. MySQL is very good at being orchestrated. It's very focused on being very operational. So then when you combine the tests on top, you get something incredibly flexible. If you have that flexibility and automation to do magic, you can then build a platform on top and it makes the test less about scale. Now we do have some major companies and websites on planet scale because they came for scale. 
we can do that. Like you, you, you need to be able to do that. But also those flexible pieces now have been composed into a platform that means that PlantScale is the best database for you at any scale. Like the things we can do around branching, deploy requests, rolling back schema changes. This is all because of Vitesse and how robust Vitesse is. And it makes it easy to deliver these things. And so now that layered on top, you get this platform that has this great open, open engine in the middle and users get the best of not having to hire dedicated database engineers. They just get to use a great database service. And so the way that PlanetScale is described externally is not as a database, but a database platform. And I think that distinction is really important for the company, but also just externally and folks understanding what PlanetScale really is versus other scalable databases. And there's also just other kind of specifics around how it's described as the database platform for developers that I'm sure were not words that were chosen lightly that really kind of spoke to the use cases and like who and the type of companies and just like personas that you wanted to engage. So you talk a bit about that and also like where it maybe started and versus where it is today. Yeah, the platform and the database distinction is, is very different. A lot of folks are building databases that sit there and they do one thing for you is like store and retrieve the data, bit of replication, a bit of high availability, and it kind of ends there. And like anyone who's achieved that reliably gets a pat on the back. That's not easy to do, right? Like building a database takes 10 years. I would not be trusting a database that hasn't been kind of running and scaling for at least 10 years. MySQL is now at 26, 27 years. So long history there. The test is now 10 years. So it takes a while to build a database and you get a database. The difference with the database platform is the core is the database, but it's the things we do for you around the platform. So we, we can become part of your DevOps cycle. So no other databases came out or have done the concept of deploying and deploy requests. So building software is a team sport. You need to keep, get review and programmers use pull requests on GitHub. They kind of get feedback. They do all of this. They can, you can deploy your site on Vercel with a preview branch. And then we all go and look at the database and the database is just in the corner doing nothing except the core job, which is great, but it's not really integrated into anywhere else in, in the workflow, right? It doesn't let you deploy to it. It doesn't help you do that. It doesn't help you review the changes to the database and it doesn't become a core part of your workflow. It becomes kind of the end state at the end of some opaque deployment process. So we wanted to change that and have the database come to you where your kind of daily life as a developer is, right? So we see companies can take up to two months to get a schema change into production. Most features require an average five schema changes to get shipped. And they have to, because again, no one wants to touch the database, everyone's scared of the database, database goes down, the CEO gets upset, everything goes wrong. So they open a ticket with their DBA team. It's a really long convoluted process. It's unsafe, it has to be tested. With plant-scale deploy requests, we make schema changes as easy as deploying code. You literally request to do it, you press the button, we roll it into production, no downtimes, no outages, rate limited, and if you do cause a problem, you can just undo it immediately. So we're building this platform around the capabilities of the database, and we're only getting started. Our product was GA in November. We have so much more coming. There is features shipping this year that kind of are related to but aren't the core of the database that make things even more incredible and start to round out this platform. So that's why we're very specific about talking about ourselves as a platform rather than just a single database technology. And you definitely describe something very powerful here, which is I think the probably two sides. One is actually getting the DevOps 
or people that are helping define the schema, we might be developers, we might be the, the person that's actually running the database to be part of your serverless product. We've seen even newer products like Neon, I guess, right? They're talking about like the branch, starting branch databases as well. So this is nothing, I think we haven't seen this before in past no. databases at all. What is sort of the thought process here? Because I think it actually is beyond just develop a DevOps changing schema. Mm -hmm. We're seeing database now even able to branch off, right? Yeah. Like I can write some changes. Now I can actually make another version. Yeah. Do you see that all going? And do you think all developers will start changing some behavior with it too? Or? Yeah, I think developers are going to want, want it. When we came up with it, we showed it to people in early beta and people were like, my God, why hasn't anyone done this before? And now all the other database companies are kind of clamoring to add it because it seems obvious once you've done it, right? It's like, yeah, why can't you have an isolated environment for your database? Like, why not? It seems really, really obvious with it being such a key part of the story of building software. You need isolated development environments. People manage staging environments. Some companies, 40% of their work time, like for infrastructure, goes into managing a staging environment, which is now like a second production that gets broken. And get, we wanted branches to be light, easy to use, and replace that staging environment and as feel as arbitrary as creating a Git branch. And so the launch went extremely well. And there are companies that you would not expect to be beta users that were beta users, like very big organizations. Can you talk a bit about how like you expected the launch to go and what you learned going through that process and like what you got right? Because I think it's like one of the hardest things to figure out product launches. And like it, it just seems like it went exceptionally well, maybe even versus expectations. I think it did. I mean, we, a few of us were having dinner the night before the launch and they were like, we'd, we'd worked quickly. We just didn't know how rapidly we'd gain this adoption. And so the team were like, you know, what if it all falls apart? And it, it didn't, we had, we got into one issue on launch day, but I said like, and they throw this quote back at me now and then I was like, we're going to get 40 people signed. It's a database. Like no one's like, I, I believe, obviously I believe like believed it was going to be big one day, but I just didn't think people are sitting around being like, oh, you know, I'm going to start my idea as soon as a new database shows up. It's kind of one of those things that you like look at it and go, cool, like I'll try this one day when I need to. So we launched and things went so quickly that we even had to phone Amazon and get more allocation for our Amazon accounts. We just ran out of like resources for our infrastructure because so many people logged in, created databases and adopted it. And then we've seen this huge amount of adoption. As I remember there was a serverless data conference that happened just as we were building, we hadn't launched. And I was seeing all of these various different names being used as examples in these talks. And I was like, you know, it'd be great if we became that company one day. Cut to the next year, like five of the six talks mentioned us. It was like amazing. It did, like, you know, it's just like very quickly just, and I think that came from having a narrative and something's different. So branching, it was the first time the world ever seen it. They were like, oh, cool. That's exactly how it should be. Talking about developers and genuinely wanting to connect with the developers. And also giving people this ability to like wrangle hyperscale tech that was just completely inaccessible to them until it was built in a serverless fashion like us. Yeah, I think all those things went really well. I mean, it's also about like very genuine marketing, right? Like I see there's certain communities that are just extremely susceptible to hype. Like they're getting excited about databases that haven't even been built yet. Like there's an idea and a landing page and it's like database engineering is a little bit harder than that. We can't like floopsy flops and twiddle our way towards something that's really going to work as a database. You just need very good engineers grinding for about a decade before it gets good. So we had that, we showed up with that at least having for tests. So we could very confidently talk about how we perform and our numbers and scalability, and then bringing it into something that's extremely usable 
yeah, I think did very well, especially in the service community, right? So like connections, connecting from lambdas, connecting from these edge workers is really hard. People, serverless infrastructure creates like tens of thousands of connections and these databases, Postgres being one, like suffer really badly from connection limits. But Tess uh, ran at YouTube with 2 million connections to the database. So we were immediately to go to the serverless world and be like, all of these proxies, all of these like convoluted ways just to protect your database from the connection storms. Don't worry about it with us. Just connect and it will, it will work. And so all of those little things that came from having really mature infrastructure, I think was really exciting for people. And that kind of led to, to where we are now. So I'm looking at the, the launch post. It was really brief, actually. Said, hey, welcome. We have a new database. Try it out and take a look. There's no explanation whatsoever. I mean, it's very, very, very simple description. What was the thought process around that kind of launch style? I guess like just like, hey, we're here. Go check our rest of our website and, and, and look at it. When I'm looking at all the hacker new comments, people are trying to figure out all oh, of the tests, you know, how does that work with this and that? And it sounds like there's things that are actually super exciting where we have a lot of great people jumping on to say, hey, we've seen that we use it, right? I saw even Keith Adams were talking about it, right? Even on, on the Hacker News as well. Maybe talk about a little bit about things that you planted to try to push the community adoption or like the image and also things you learn from that. Or maybe, oh, we thought that could work, but that didn't, like any, any lessons there as well. So having a great community of like big logo companies is like one very good. Like having the CTO of Slack tweet a thank you at us because they were able to survive the pandemic scale up that they needed to do when everyone went online, right? Like they massively scaled up their database infrastructure and it was as simple as waiting for the data to copy across more shards. That helps. That like really, really helps. But the simplicity of why the way we launched is we want to get the product in people's hands. You can describe the beauty of an iPhone all day long, but until you feel that like metal edge that the, the, you play with the screen. I mean, it doesn't, you don't feel it, truly feel it. So we, we focused on speed of getting going. So Lee Rob at Vercel did a comparison video a few weeks after we launched from sign up to getting a database. And he did about 20. He didn't do one of the one I'm talking about right now, but when I was doing this journey for building PlanScale, I was logging into a lot of database products. And from sign up to getting a database about half an hour, which is just completely unacceptable. We're very self-aware that the database is not the most important thing. It's the idea. If you've got the next stripe in your head, you don't want to sit, sit there for half an hour losing momentum while you go and wait for your database to spin up. And it doesn't really say much about your product or your product values if it takes half an hour to get a database. So we focused extremely hard on not only giving you something very powerful, but something very nimble and quick to use. So we made sure that your database creation was almost instant. And so he did this video, which compared the, like probably the 10, 15 most popular database platforms. We were the fastest, 12 seconds from sign up to getting a database. And we've just given you the back end that every single site message in the entire world is firing into right this second within 12 seconds. That level of power and agility had not been combined before in databases. You've got these hyperscale databases that you accept take forever to set up and get going to pay off that scale thing, Spanner, Dynamo, whatever. But we paired the two together. So if you can do that, if you can instantly create those magic moments and people get connected and they're excited, why do you need to write waffly long blog posts about what you're going to do? Just show them what you did. Teach by showing, you know? And, and so we just, we wanted to make it very simple and step out the way and let our product speak for itself. 
and let the others do the talking and the marketing. I love letting the product speak for itself. And I think we're seeing a lot more of these like demo offs of actually seeing how products work versus the competitors. I want to talk a bit about how today PlanetScale works with the test users, because I even see on your like pricing page that some folks will come in and be interested because of the test. But I imagine too, like some will come to PlanetScale and that might be their like first introduction. So today, I imagine the relationship has changed quite a bit over time, but how have you learned to work with the, the test community and, and what does that interaction look like now? So it depends which type of customer they are. So we have some of those Vitesse customers that were just running Vitesse themselves are moving over to our cloud. That's something I ne- didn't think would happen for five, six years, right? But they they wanted a way to buy Vitesse from the people who are developing it constantly rather than just us supporting them, managing themselves. So first of all, some very large websites are moving over to PlanetScale, which is incredibly exciting. The way we work with them is we just prove we can do what they want us to do. So we just released a million QPS benchmark, which is a really high amount of QPS. And we showed that it's linear, right? Like it's, you add more machines, you get more capacity, which is something scale customers really care about. So when it's a large customer, we show them it can scale to their demand predictably and well and reliably. And that kind of does Great. There's another kind of mid-market of customers that need a database as a service. They don't have specialized infrastructure engineers. Like the database is probably one of the biggest parts of their, largest parts of their AWS bill. And now they're at this junction where it's like, do I hire an engineer to manage my database full-time, pay extreme sums to Amazon for kind of very basic functionality in terms of what they provide? Or do I go looking elsewhere for somewhere that will do more of this for me? And that's where we come to speak to them at PlanetScale. We show them how they can import and how they can use all of our different features super simply. And they kind of just like come on board and it's a drop-in replacement for Amazon RDS, except they get like 30% more features and it just works really nicely. And then there's the brand new developer. They might not do anything significant or taxing with the database for another five years, but we want to make sure that the day they start, the day their vision and journey begins, they pick PlanetScale, it gets out of their way and it just helps them build. And, and is faster and more nimble. And, and at that, in that sense, we compete at both ends of the spectrum. When I kind of pitched pivoting the company towards this direction, we had this spectrum of majorly powerful, high-scale infrastructure databases that are impossible to use. And then the toy ones that are super simple, easy to get going, great developer experience, have no scale potential that are just like definitely always get replaced midway through the journey. And, and our vision through having incredible developer experience, incredible scale is to bridge both ends and make that graduation curve very smooth. What's the hardest challenge when you say, okay, I want to do that? Because at pretty much every database company or every database startup, you know, we talk to or, or inspire to all said, I want the best developer experience and I will scale forever. <laughs> and there's no company tell them that it won't, but there's definitely, there's a spectrum, right? Of what kind of scale, what kind of ease of use. There must be hard trade-offs or things you probably have to decide that, hey, I, I want to have a very fast startup experience using the product or learning about the product, but it comes with probably some trade-off that I have to start to internalize. When I build the products, maybe the defaults, I have to choose certain things. What, what are the things you've learned to try to build a product? This was the hardest part in the product uh, iteration process to make that happen. It's all in the mind. It's all discipline. So you're right. Everyone says scale and developer experience, and then they've built something that has no customers at scale and looks like a potato. And so obviously the trade-offs of really 
damage them mentally. Like the developer, this is the thing about developer experience. And this is why we don't, this is why we try and like buzzword it up a bit is because they just don't know, right? They came from ent- whatever enterprise you want software that doesn't let you use their software without a, someone doing a demo or some webinar or whatever. And now they're saying developer experience, like a hot new word. And they don't know what it means. I mean, they haven't done it. So first of all, it's very subjective. The reason we have the team, we have the services team that manage that kind of experience that the users feel. The reason they are very unreasonable people is to, well, sorry, not the reason they are. They are very unreasonable for a reason because we have these trade-offs and we have these issues that most database companies forgive themselves for. They're like, you know, we've solved something really hard for you. So we're like trading off some pain. And these companies talk about developer experience. Then you log in and the first thing you're asked with is how many nodes do you want in a cluster? Oh, developer experience. It's a mess. People don't know what that means. It's your technology. You won't see the word cluster anywhere in our UI. You won't even be able to choose CPUs, memory size, all of this stuff. That is all abstracted away. Developer experience is truly understanding where the developer, what the developer is coming for and making it exciting and good and enabling. And so we agonize over how to do that. And it often involves a lot of backend work. So when we were doing our imports feature, I thought to myself, if we are going to make people dump their, their database and import it into ours, that's a terrible developer experience. It's just awful. And I went and looked to the documentation sites of rival databases, and that's exactly what they make you do. Their, their like migration instructions is like a 40-page document on dumping your database, swapping these connections, doing this thing. Terrible. We wanted to make that a fully online experience. So we use the power of a test that can, can do some, some of these things and we orchestrate it to make it super simple. So the import to plant scale is you just give us your previous database connection details. We pull the data in for you without having to dump it or do anything. And then when it's up to date, you deploy your app to point at planet scale. And we're still going back to your old data. We're proxying back to your database. You press one button and we cut and re- Evolve the two. So we have customers, like customers that are six-figure customers that self-serve migrate them into the platform. That's developer experience. No one's doing that. They're like, they, 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 they think developer experience is a really nice landing page and an API and a CLI. Like you, these, these CEOs get asked about what does it mean to you? It's like, well, we have an API. It's like, yeah, that's not developer experience. It's like, it's ultimately, did the developer get what they wanted to do done very quickly, very, it like, powerfully and and did they get out of the way and people get that wrong and they can't and, and it's, it's just very subjective and so i think this is a good point where we can talk about your journey with the company because you started as chief product officer and was that when you initially kind of pitched some of the relaunch or was that once you were already at the company and then that was a kind of how you transitioned to ceo and president like kind of walk us through what those steps were like and also just what you learned along that journey so the first thing i did was say like we need to build something new i looked at the the, the previous product we had was good, but it was it was hosted Vitesse, if that makes sense. It's like if you wanted and needed Vitesse and could configure it, it's hosted that. That's good for a certain set of audiences. It's not good for a mass market and for every developer out there. And we thought, you know, we bring a load of new people on board. We hired like 20 people in the first couple of months, all coming pretty much from GitHub and the team that built GitHub Actions and, and, and the database people over there as well. We thought, why don't we try again? Let's just challenge ourselves to start with an architecture on top of a test that will enable our goals. And so we just started building and working on that. And the culture shifted very quickly. We built a culture of constant iteration. We would demo our work every Friday and refine and, and, and really built this culture that, that sustains what we're developing now. 
and the speed we can ship at. People ask all the time why we ship so quickly. It's because of our culture that we've developed of extreme unreasonableness towards slowness and bottlenecks and just getting things out there and shipping and iterating. And the culture evolved, the product started to take off. And it kind of became a thing where the culture has shifted, the product is doing really, really well. How do we double down on this? And we kind of came to the conclusion that my role changing would, uh, would really help there. And that's what we went for. And it was just very simple. I mean, the founders of the company were very good at what they did or do, and we made it a super easy transition. It's like, it doesn't matter. Like who, who runs the company is less as important as what the company's culture is and, and who you have building what you're building. And the things I've learned are no matter how good your tech is, getting it out there in front of people and communicating what you want to communicate about it is very tough. Like very, 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 very hard. Now, since taking over this role, every early company that I advise or that I invest in, I kind of encourage them to figure out their go-to-market plans and how they are going to sell this thing very, very early. And you kind of gain an appreciation for building all of those things. Now, we're kind of coming through the other side of building our go-to-market and things are going really, really well. And now we have to scale that, right? You've seen this with the companies you invest in. It's like, okay, it's like, how do we sell to our first enterprise customer? And now it's like, oh, there's like five enterprise customers now and hundreds of small customers. How do you like manage and make this scalable? So we're, we're coming through the other side of that, but it's not easy. And I don't think founders going into the developer space, the open source space, fully internalized for their company to become a success, 90, 80 to 90% of their revenue is going to come from enterprises. And sometimes 10, 15, 20% is going to come from one enterprise, right? And so you have to get good at this stuff really, really early because... If you're just building bottoms up and you expect to get 29 bucks a month from hundreds of people forever and build a business, it's not, it's not going to work. And so really getting in there with enterprises and there's always luck involved. We get, we get, have a lot of luck. We've got a lot of kind of tailwinds from having a solution that already powers major enterprises. And that's very good for us, but it's still, this is still very complex to sell into these types of company. You talked about your role transition from VPN at GitHub, now suddenly become a CPO at a new startup, you know. Of course, there must be learning because you were a user before, but I don't think that was a very simple transition. Now I said I know how to run a product at a small company. Like, what was probably the biggest lessons you had to learn to now have to go from managing engineering teams now straight to CPO? Was it was it just simple? Like, this is pretty much a similar as job or... There's actually things I have to relearn a little bit. I did that learn that that product learning at GitHub. So the last project I worked on was with a bunch of the folks that are now at PlantScale and with one of my closest friends in the world, Max Schoening, who is was the head of design, is the head of design at, at GitHub. We built GitHub Actions. The infrastructure team shipped it. He did did his magic with Jason, who is now also at PlantScale. Jason, who is our product designer, shout out. He's incredible, by the way, and he's also just, you know, one of the reasons we're so good at what we do is he's been in, in design for developers for like 20 years. He designed some of the, like the earliest versions of the pull request from Jason, right? So he's been designing beautiful tools for developers forever. And so he was in Max's team. We all worked together with the infrastructure team to build GitHub Actions and build something that's really beautiful, that really works. And so I went through that product development process at GitHub and loved it. And that's why I wanted to come to PlantScale because I thought, you know, if, if you can build tools for developers and then take something that has such a huge market as databases and mix those two together, you can truly create a great product. 
So I did those learnings. The thing that the hardest learning is once you have a distribution advantage, you get very lazy. I mean, being able to deploy and ship to 70 million developers and have them love it instantly is addictive and hard to break out of. Like you, you forget this because it's the GitHub brand and having been a GitHub for eight years and having everyone know when you say GitHub, they're like, oh my God, it's GitHub, right? It's really hard to break out of that and start back at where no one knows your brand, no one knows what you do, it's not obvious. And you don't have that immediate distribution advantage. You find how hard it is to start again. But now we're over through that flywheel, it's great. But at the beginning, it's you have a lot of convincing. You have to kind of build trust and show people that it's not just hype, it's not marketing, actually it works for them. And that was a not a difficult mental journey. It was just, you know, you're like, wow, this is we had it pretty easy <laughs> in terms of distribution. Awesome. And I wanted to make sure that we got to talk a bit about your blog because the Planet Scale blog and just the content that the company produces, first of all, it's a lot of different people at the company writing. So yeah. I'd love to know if that's, if that's a big part of the culture. You've got engineers and folks who just aren't necessarily leadership at the company that are talking about tutorials and just how like you can actually get Planet Scale up and running. So is it like, what's the strategy there? Because I think content is something that a lot of startups will notoriously underinvest in. Yeah. You can't bluff engineers, especially backend engineers, right? Like if your database fails, your the application error logs snitch on you. How many you both of you browsing the web today will see page errors and your mind will immediately gloss over as you reflexively hit refresh, right? Like you're you're going to the next American uh, Airlines page to book your flight, it always fails. You hit refresh, it comes back. You just like jump over that. Can't do that with a database. Database fails every single query going to that database errors the logs explode someone gets paged so one you have to have a great product that, that makes that happen a lot less but two you have to show your audience that you can be trusted because they are putting one of the most critical pieces of their stack in your hands and so having content that is highly technical and interesting and conveys we know what we're doing you are buying from the best really, really helps. And so we don't try and do this twoodly kind of over hypey marketing. We just talk about what we do as engineers, what we value as engineers, and try and give everyone who reads our blog some value. And it really, really helps getting people interested in the solution. And it also widens the net of folks that will come and understand about your project. So one of our most highly performing blog posts is about how Go generics can be slow. We have this incredible engineer, VMG. He was also a GitHub, but just outstandingly good. He wrote this analysis of how Go generics can possibly be slow. He went back down to, all the way down to how it compiles, all the way to the assembly, and did this amazing blog post just detailing this. It's not about databases, we use Go, but it's the Hacker News crowd, they loved it because they're like, wow, I can learn about something very general and they happen to have a great big plant scale logo at the top. They learn about us. There's a very clear value exchange. And so that's why technical content is incredibly, incredibly important to us and not trying to fluff everything else. So if you look, there's a lot of effort that goes into our blog posts. We make them look very visual, visually appealing. We put a lot behind them and then the words speak for themselves and people, anyone is empowered to go and write a blog post. You literally just make a pull request on GitHub if we approve it. It gets merged in after designers have done their work to make it look really, really good. And it's kind of the way to sign off on your work, finally. Once you've shipped something, once you've done something, blog about it, and that's that final piece finished. 
Yeah. So let's talk maybe about the enterprise offering because you managed the managed cloud products sort of afterwards your your releases. And you mentioned like pretty early, like you said, companies should have the reality that a lot of the revenue will come from enterprise, so they should be prepared mm-hmm. early. Were you planning that already since launch? Like, okay, yes. let's let's do this in six months. We're already been building this, right? We're just kind of cadence out the the, the release, or just is, there's something learnings along the way. I guess this was really hard because I realized startups a lot of times are trying to figure out how do I prioritize what, right? Do I get yeah. a lot more adoption before I even think about enterprise or getting? But you actually release this fairly soon, yes, because of momentum, or this is all pre-planned out. Like we know this is going to happen. It was planned. So. Great work from our infrastructure team. We knew enterprises were going to use our products. The way we designed our backend was that we can isolate and separate our backends. So whether it's in a customer's account, our account, or an isolated account within our account, it all looks the same to our SaaS control plane. So we wanted, I didn't want to ship on-prem software. I think long-term on-prem software is dead. And it's also just hyper annoying to sell and doesn't grow predictably you have to have an army of folks that just essentially nag the enterprise to adopt it you don't get metrics out of the product it's just very disconnected like the reason we all love SaaS is because you have such a direct connection to the customer and the value you're providing for that customer and you can ship and build and and so we want to do SaaS, but also major fintech companies can't just say yeah host our data in your account that's chill like their security teams are say absolutely not so from the very beginning we designed an architecture that means that our data plane vitesse and kubernetes essentially can get deployed into your amazon account or google account you still come through the control plane. you still come through app.plantscale.com whether you're a major enterprise or whether you're a one-person developer team it feels like a SaaS product it feels absolutely no different except the back end is living in in your account meaning your security team can audit it they know exactly has access it's encrypted it's only machine access and it means it's kind of the safety of on-prem and all of the amazing pieces of SaaS put together. And so we wanted to do that from the very, very beginning and built our architecture that way. So if you ask our middleware, is it Attentive's account or is it a brand new hot startup over there's account? It just, just knows, knows how to map, gets it done and it works really, really well. It also enables velocity because our teams that build the site build everything, they don't have to care about that either. It just looks the same to them behind the API and they just build to make things go. And it doesn't matter whether it's for each and the infrastructure team, make sure that all works. So the place we like to end, though we've already touched on this a bit already, are pieces of advice to other open source founders. But I guess we can also, like another way to frame that could be, what are some of the hardest decisions you've had to make over the last two years, relaunching the product, building the team, like what are kind of like the toughest learnings that you you just didn't know prior to Planet Scale? Saying goodbye to parts of the business model that didn't have a long-term future was painful. And for a while it was really painful. And now we're on the other side, it's actually paying off. So like with a bunch of support customers, we kind of said, we can't focus on supporting your on-prem Vitesse forever, right? We're not building a company where we are going to try and get everyone to install a Vitesse. And then eventually they buy support from us or some premium features on top like SAML or whatever, right? Like we are, we were going purely SaaS. We were going to the cloud. So we had to say to customers, like, we're not going to do this anymore. We'll support you for a little bit longer, but you know, the future is moving to our cloud product. And then there was like a awkward quarter where it was like, we've just said goodbye to a load of customers and a load of revenue. And now they've come back and like, we actually want to use your cloud because we don't want to do this on our own. And now that's just amazing, but it's really painful at first and really scary. And 
you speak to customers that are like, this major corporation is using our tool and they want all of these things and they really, really want it. And it has like a million dollars of revenue attached to it. And they get bent out of shape building for these companies too early without building a core understanding of why people love their product and then just how to apply that to enterprises. So a lot of early companies burn that ability to be super close with very active customers and build something that makes them really excited and delighted, but also serves the long-term vision of where they need to go as a company. So my advice is to kind of keep those in balance and do the really hard thing of not being hamstrung by either and just trying to focus there. Cause that was tough. That was like, once you're into a business model, it's very hard to get out. Like if you, if you choose an on-prem delivery for your software and think you'll do cloud in three years time, that is an agonizing change. And it, it is it's agonizing in other ways, it's not just technical. If your sales team have spent the last three years getting used to selling something on-prem to then switch that up to the, the cloud is extremely difficult. And I'll give you a scenario. If you have an on-prem option, like we have to, some customers are still tiptoeing into the cloud. They really want our solution, but they're still slowly now moving our stateless stuff into the cloud or whatever. We have to say to them, there's no on-prem option here. We just don't sell one. So you have to buy our cloud product. If you have an on-prem option available, as soon as that resistance is met and, and it's a salesperson's quota on the line, they're going to sell the on-prem software. So your on-prem keeps growing. Your cloud looks like a miserable failure. You have to commit. But if there's $30 million revenue in the on-prem thing, that commitment is very tough to make. So be very, very clear about where, what you want to be able to say about your business at the later stages and don't do things that are like really hard to turn around. Like you can't turn around a cruise ship as quickly as a speedboat. Awesome. That's super great advice. And thanks so much, Sam, for being on. I think we all learned so much lessons from you. Thank you for having me. I had a really great time chatting to you both. 